for me, I'm a pastor, and I deal with real people, people just like you every day, people that have a hurt, or they have something going on, and they're trying to figure out, how do I deal with this? And I always know Jesus has the answer. He has that next step for you. Let's open up the Word today and see what God will say specifically to you. Welcome to Your Next Step. I'm Pastor Doug McCoy from The Church Next Door. I'm with our lead pastor, Pastor Doyle Jackson. Pastor Doyle, have you ever heard of the patriarchy? I certainly have. I met the Greek patriarchy when I was living in Jerusalem. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, the that was part of the, of the Orthodox Church? Uh, uh, one of them. They were there for uh, a meeting in, in terms of in the Holy Sepulchre one day walking through, and they, I get to shake their hand. And they stuff. call that guy a primate? Is that what? Uh, I don't know. I don't know that I want to be a primate. I'm happy being a pastor. I thought now we've delved into evolution, haven't we? If he's a primate, I don't know. Uh, We'll have to go back. Listen, what I think is our world talks about the patriarchy, and they see it as negative. They believe that somehow that there is this this idea that white males especially are are trying to hold everything. But when we look in the Bible— there's there's patriarchs there's this family from god mm-hmm. but the reason they're given to us is because they're not perfect and and they know that they're sinful that's why the bible is so unique it's not arguing for masculine leaderships just just by virtue of being male it's saying we have to submit to god and when we see the imperfections and that's what we're going to talk about today abraham and sarah isaac and rebecca jacob and leah and rachel we're going to look at how they were imperfect but through god's grace they were able to do something pretty amazing you know i know these three couples very well i do look at these three men almost every day as examples but the women all three of them are also examples Correct. Uh, for the life of faith as Good well. and bad. Good and bad sometimes, exactly. That's but right. uh, we're going to pick that out today. We're so glad you're here on Your Next Step. This is Brave Love Difficult. We all start somewhere. So I want to give you, quickly, three examples from the Bible that will teach us a lot about how this kind of system can be broken. And I told you in the beginning, I said that that the Bible gives us examples of failures as well as success, right? And you can learn, can you learn from somebody's failure so you don't repeat it, okay? The first example is Abraham and Sarah, okay? Genesis chapter 21, if you want to flip over there, you can look at the broader context. You're going to read a few chapters before that. You remember Abraham? Abe started out. And God changed his name to Abraham. He gave him a promise. He said, I'm going to make you into a great nation. Okay. His wife was Sarah. Look at these verses. Abraham in, in chapter 21, verse five, Abraham was a hundred years old. Say a hundred. You need to capture that in your brain. He was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Sarah said, God has brought me laughter and everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. Why do I think that's important? I think that's important because it shows us that God had a promise to them and that God fulfilled that promise for them, but it didn't mean it was that easy. It didn't come quickly. It was not like the Chick-fil-A drive through You understand? It took some time. There was some difficulty there. There was some trust in God there. It wasn't perfect. It wasn't neat. Isaac, and he was not, Abraham was not the perfect dad. 
or husband. I mean, he even denied that it was his wife at one time. She was so beautiful on two occasions. I mean, that is not a good relationship technique, okay? Deny the relationship that you have with your spouse, okay? That would be a ding in his character, wouldn't it? They had trouble getting pregnant. God answered their prayers. God answered that promise with Isaac. Now, what does it mean to have older parents? How many of you know someone who had a child of the old age? What did they do? They tend to spoil that child. If you're that child right now, you're angry at me because I just said that. I'm sorry. It's a fact. You've been ruined by too much love, all right? Isaac grew up thinking he was the end-all and be-all. But Isaac did have a half-brother, Ishmael, didn't he? Why did Ishmael exist? Ishmael exists because Abraham and Sarah didn't believe God was going to come through on the promise. See, you and I have struggled believing, will God come through on the promise? And we try to solve the problem through our own human effort. I keep telling you, humanism is a belief that you can solve your problems through human effort. And there are some issues which only God can solve. And God calls us to trust him for those areas. I'm not saying that you don't get up and go to work tomorrow. No, that's, that's an appropriate behavior. Now, why is all this important? Abraham's family were idol worshipers. History tells us they were idol makers. So they weren't just people that believed in idols. They made their living off of idols. And Abraham left all that behind. He stopped making idols and went from that to being a shepherd. That's a huge change in life. He went from being a city dweller, an urban salesman, to being a country boy. He left behind his family. I mean, think about this. All the demands, the pressures. And in the midst of that, he doesn't see God working out the promise and the plan he wants to. And he tries to, he goes to plan B. He gets Ishmael. What does that do? That causes problems for, for, for him, for Sarah, for Hagar, and Ishmael. But God was merciful. See, you may feel like an Ishmael. You may feel like somehow you were the result of a human effort. Your parents took it out or wrong. Just telling you, that's the way. But God will still bless you. He can still bless you. He can turn that around in your life, okay? Next example, Isaac and Rebekah. So Isaac is the child, the spoiled one, all right? But he's grown up under parents that believe in the living God and left everything behind. It's an example of a new generation, okay? Now, Abraham gets older, and he realizes that all that's available for his son Isaac to marry is a bunch of ungodly people that live in his neighborhood. And he comes to the conclusion this would not be the best solution for his son's spiritual life or relational life. And he says, maybe if we can get somebody that God would indicate back from my hometown, or at least knows that I left everything behind. I'm, we left idols to come live this new kind of life. So he goes to his servant. 
This is beautiful. Abraham has been become so clear on the fact that he is a worshiper of God. He, he, he loves God that his servant, this man that works in his household, is convinced that God is the source of life and answers. And he says, swear to me that you will go get a, a wife for my son Isaac and you'll go back to my homeland. Now, folks, this is a long journey. Look it up in your Bible how far they had to go. This guy takes a, a, a bunch of money, a bunch of clothes, all sorts of wealth with him. He saddles up and he goes back to find a wife for Isaac. And it says that when he arrives in this land, he stops and he prays. Listen to what it says. Abraham's servant sent to get Isaac a wife, 24-15. Before he had finished praying, Rebekah came out with her jar on her shoulder. She was the daughter of Bethuel, son of Milcah, who was the wife of Abraham's brother Nahor. I know that sounds like Tennessee. I'm sorry. Relationship there. The woman was very beautiful, a virgin. No man had ever slept with her. She went down to the spring, filled her jar, and came up again. I mean, this is a, this is a testimony, isn't it, about this, this young woman. She's a hard worker. She's working hard. She's, she, oh, I just think there's so much beautiful about this. But there's also some beauty in, in this, this man praying. If you go on and read the story, it says that, that once he, he recognized his, his prayer had been answered, he sees her and he's like, oh, wow, this is the answer to the prayer I just asked. He goes and meets the family. He realized this is the family that, that, that Abraham wanted him to talk to. He says, my master has sent me, and, and Laban is there. He's going to come up in the story more. Laban is there, and he tries to redo the ne negotiation. They try to get this servant to stay longer. He says, oh, no, my master is waiting. We've got to go if she's willing to go. They said, are you willing to go? She says, I want to go. This man's got clothes and money. And I won't have to herd sheep anymore. Huh. This girl saw, she saw something. And so she leaves, she goes home with him. If you read the story, it says that, that Abraham was in the field praying, bowing before God when he sees the servant arriving with her to the land. He knew his prayers had been answered. Doesn't mean life was perfect. It says that Isaac, he fell in love with her immediately, but they couldn't have a child. Genesis 25, 21. Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was childless. The Lord answered his prayer and his wife, Rebecca, became pregnant. The babies jostled each other within her. And she said, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. This tells us a couple things. Number one, this tells us that children come from the Lord. This tells us that sometimes God's people, even though you're a godly person, a child may not come as quickly as you like or in the way that you like, and you have to trust God for that answer, right? It also tells us that Rebecca had, had abandoned some of her family's notions about idols and whatnot, and now she's praying to the Lord, just like Isaac. So Isaac has led the family spiritually now and passed on 
this love for God, she's seeking God, trying to understand what's going on in her life. There's a lot here, isn't it? Isaac's a man of prayer. She's a, she's a woman of prayer. They're seeking God for their family. There's a lot of lessons in here. She asked God, well, what's going on? And God says, there are two nations within, within you. He lets her know in advance she's having twins. There's a lot to this. Now, this is what I want you to see in this. They end up with two boys. The first one is Esau. Let me tell you about Esau. Esau is outdoor man. As the scripture recognize, represents him, he's got red hair. He's really hairy. He looks like somebody from the NFL. I mean, this dude is big, all right? We have more resources for you at doylejackson.com. We will be right back with more Your Next Step. Pastor Doyle, we have a great free resource we want to share with our friends. It is a copy of your great message, Great Hope, The Cross. This is going to be a PDF digital download. If they go to DoyleJackson.com, give us their email, it'll be sent to them. What is the value of having that message on uh, PDF as well as hearing it through the radio? Well, I think we've talked about this before. I mean, number one, we learn things best when we get to see them, when we get to hear them, and somehow when we get to be kinetically involved with them, we get our hands involved. And and that's what we want our our friends to do, because you're partnering with us. You're listening, and, and we want to give this to you. And then I'm praying that you'll pray this prayer out loud. That's part of this lesson. Uh, we go through in this lesson the, the eight things that Christ provided on the cross. He provided forgiveness. He provided healing. He provided righteousness. I'm not going to give you all eight right now. Right. you got to go right. and get it, because if you begin to pray that aloud over your life, it'll transform the way you think about Jesus and the way you think about yourself, because it transforms us to confess that aloud. We're beginning to engage with what God is is doing when we start to, yep. to it's just like when you hear somebody quote a scripture and yep. you're like, well, I want to look it up. You're engaging even more. This is a chance to engage even more with the cross. So go to DoyleJackson.com, put in your email, you'll get this PDF. We believe it's going to bless your life. Let's continue with your next step. Jacob is more of a salesman, a striver is the way the Bible describes him. He is always looking for an angle, a deal. He's a talker. I don't know if he's a metrosexual, if his, if his nails are filed properly and buffed. I don't know that it kind of presents him that way, but you need to know something about him. He is no weenie. Because later on, we, we, we see him in great strength and running a huge ranch, okay? But what we do, what we do learn is that there's this, the family has this tradition of kind of grabbing at things and struggling over faith. And it's lived out in the life of these two boys. Esau becomes the favorite of his father. And Jacob becomes the favorite of his mother. And this messes with these kids' heads. It continues the striving that began. And if you grew up in a home where someone else was the favorite, you know how painful that is. 
Well, let's not do it in your home. What ends up happening is Esau, who spends a lot of time with his dad, learns about the blessing, but he doesn't value the blessing. Jacob, who spends time with his mom, learns about the blessing, but believes that you can get the blessing through human means. And she starts reverting to some of the tactics of her brother Laban and the family of origin that she has. And she helps her son lie, manipulate, to steal the blessing from his brother. Now Esau, he's already let it go in his heart. He doesn't think it's a big deal. He has lived under so much blessing from God, he takes the blessing of God for granted. One day he comes in to his, his brother. He's hungry. He's been out hunting all day. He was unsuccessful. Brother's been in there doing HGTV or cooking TV with his mom all day. And, and, and he's made this pot of soup. And he looks at his brother and says, yeah, I'll give you a pot of soup, but you've got to promise me that I can have the family blessing from daddy. Give up your birthright to be seen as the firstborn. They're born on the same day and they're striving still to this day. And Esau says, no big deal. You can have it. Give me the soup. And in the book of Hebrews, it says that Esau despised his birthright for a bowl of soup. This is why I teach you here at the church next door to fast and pray, to love God more than your belly, to learn to be self-controlled. Esau missed out on the blessing. And later he's caught with tears in his eyes. But mama and daddy did a bad job of transferring the information well, didn't they? One son loved the blessing so much, enjoyed the blessing that he took it for granted. The other son thought he could achieve the blessing through human effort. The family spirals. At that point, Jacob leaves town because he thinks his big NFL-sized brother is going to kill him. And he probably would have. And he goes back to where his mama grew up to find himself a wife. And this puts us at the next stage of the story. He arrives at, I assume, that same well, but I don't know that for sure. While he was still talking with the relatives of the family, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she was a shepherd, hard worker. Laziness is nowhere acceptable in the kingdom of God. When Jacob saw Rachel, daughter of his uncle Laban and Laban's sheep, he went over and rolled the stone away from the mouth of the well and watered his uncle's sheep. This is how we know he was not a weenie. He was not a pansy. He was not a wimp. It normally took several men to roll the stone away in order for them to get the water. He does it by himself. Now, I don't know if this is the case, but maybe he's still gleaming on his muscly arms. Then Jacob kissed Rachel and began to weep aloud. He told he had told Rachel that he was a relative of her father and a son of of Rebecca, So she ran and told her father. What does this tell us? This tells us that, that, that through his own strength, he began to create the negotiation. There is no prayer point here like the servant had. 
He begins to work out this relationship, trying to cut the deal and make this happen. And this is what happened. Jacob spends the next 21 years getting a master's degree in ungodly living. Recently in reading this story, I made a list of 18 ungodly characteristics of Laban. Laban was a liar. He was a cheater. He was a deceiver. He was constantly talking and trying to renegotiate. Later, when Jacob finally has enough of living with the ungodly, he goes to his wives and says, your father has changed my wages. I think he says 21 times. 21 times. You know, he renegotiates, trying to swap it to his advantage. And he said, I've had enough. I got to leave. And they both say, you're right. And they choose to leave with him, to, to choose a different way, to walk away from the ungodly life. Now, there are things in this story that are so painful, so cruel, so unusual. It's, it's, like, it's like a soap opera. He says he works, he works for Laban for a few months, and then he, he goes to, to Laban, or Laban calls him in and says, you know, it'd be wrong of me to continue not to pay you for working for me. As the New Testament says, a worker is worthy of his hire. It's wrong to do that to somebody. He says, what would your price be? He said, I see your daughter, Rebecca, is beautiful. And he agrees to work for seven years, seven years, to have her as his bride. Think about that. He agrees to that. And it says right there that he never had relationship with her. The only kiss we know at, at this point is the greeting at the well. We don't know if that was her hand or her cheek. He greeted her as a relative is the way I'm assuming it from the context, okay? But it says that they remained pure until that seven-year date. And he shows up at the wedding and Laban pulls the switcheroo on him. Sends the sister in Leah. Now, this is, this is what you've got to see. Leah and Rachel agreed to this, didn't they? This is a sicko family. This is twisted. This is wrong. It builds a root in their family of ungodliness, of a twisted understanding of sexuality. It gives a twisted understanding of other human beings. It sees a human being as a payment. This is human trafficking. You see what I'm saying, folks? You may have grown up in a family culture that says that's okay, but in God's culture, it's not. And Jacob knew that. And he, he went on with the game. He agreed to seven more years. In the midst of this, his wives, I'll call them the girls for this sake. Forgive me if that's disrespectful. I don't mean it that way. The girls decide to use him as negotiations all the time. One of them one day, she says, I see your son brought you in some mandrakes. Could I have some mandrakes? The other one says, well, I'll give you some mandrakes if you'll give me the hubby tonight. That's human trafficking. That is a low-level attitude towards another human being. What does that tell me? That tells me that men and women alike 
can believe in the use of another human being for their own gain, their own pleasure, whatever it is. You see, you and I live in a world right now. A world that believes that human trafficking and using another human being for your own personal pleasure is okay. When you read their story, you see a family that is struggling in the midst of the pain and the realities of this world that that, that they believe that it's okay to deceive, it's okay to lie, it's okay to take what's not theirs, it's to renegotiate after we've agreed. I mean, everything about this is everything about being ungodly. And this is what happens. You and I live in an ungodly world. And we become so familiar with ungodliness that we just begin to accept it as normal. And we let it push right on through. God says that every human being is valuable. Every human being is designed for love. Every human being is meant to be nurtured and grown in a relationship with Him where, he, where you can have a relationship with your neighbor and feel safe with your family and be valued. And that's the picture of brave love God invites us to. And what you and I want to do is we want to look into the picture of our past, the testimony of our lives, and say, what will the testimony of our future be? You've been listening to Brave Love Difficult on Your Next Step. Pastor Doyle, I I like that word brave. I always wanted to be brave when I was yeah. a kid. Still do, I guess. Well, I think when I when I actually wrote this sermon series in the beginning, I, I really, I like the idea of brave heart in terms of that yes. character. Uh, William Wallace, you know, he, he, he really loved his country. I'm, I'm not saying he's perfect and it's been a long time since I've seen that, but, but I like the idea that when we love bravely, it's going to take courage and Mm -hmm. it's going to take strength. And that's what I see Jesus did. You know, he, he went to the cross and then he invites us to repent it takes a lot of guts to repent, yeah. to admit that you're wrong, to confess that, and then make make restitution at times, to, to walk it out. It, it takes so much strength and so much courage. So that's what I see going on in this, uh, and, and that's why I like it. And I want to invite you to the difficult, is what I would say. Absolutely, because we believe there's blessings uh, on the other side. There's blessings to doing difficult. There's blessings being brave. Blessings to the cross. In fact, we've put together a free resource that we want to share with everybody about the cross. It goes back to the messages we were doing a couple of weeks ago. So if you will go to doylejackson.com, we will ask for your email, put your email in there, and we will send you this resource about what the cross does for us. Yeah, we're going to go through the nine attributes of the cross that Jesus took on so that we might receive the freedom and the life and, and the blessings from God. It's really good. So again, that's DoyleJackson.com. Go there, give us your email. We'll send you that uh, resource very quickly. And then why don't you come back because we have more for you on Your Next Step. Your Next Step with Doyle Jackson is a ministry of The Church Next Door in Columbus, Ohio. Your prayers for us are always valued, but to help keep us on the air, visit DoyleJackson.com and click Give. That's DoyleJackson.com. You can also send a check to The Church Next Door. Our address is 5755 Fetter Road, Columbus, Ohio, 43228. Again, that's 5755 F-E-D-E-R Road, Columbus, Ohio, 43228. Please put radio in the memo line. Lastly, if you need prayer or have questions, text us at 888-644-4034. That's 888 644 
4034. I'm Pastor Doug, and Pastor Doyle and I would love to see you next time for your next step.